it is good to see you all here this morning. So a week or two ago, I was reading a short devotional thing one evening, and it was focused around these verses. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Those verses are from Lamentations 3, and I know that they're fairly well known, but to be honest, my greatest sort of interaction with them is probably in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, they're not really verses I've ever dwelt on too long, which is pretty silly probably. But this day, they were the focus of this devotional that I read. And as I read it lying in bed one night before going to sleep, the thought that crossed my mind as I read it was, but why would God want to give me fresh mercies? I don't deserve that. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. The particular night that I read that devotion, I'd had a bit of a lazy day. I'd slept through my alarm, gotten up late, stayed in my dressing gown for probably too long. I hadn't left the house, hadn't really achieved very much at all that day. And it wasn't that I didn't have anything to do. I mean, there's always plenty for me to be doing. But it was just one of those days I'd chosen to be a bit lazy. And I'd thought to myself, oh, well, there's more days in the week, you know, for me to get stuff done. I might as well go slow today. And it was okay because I work four days a week, so I've got a, I've got a little bit of leeway. But it wasn't a very productive day off in the end, that's the only thing, because I just procrastinated really all day. And at the end of it, I felt bad for sleeping in. I felt bad for wearing my dressing gown too long. I felt bad for not achieving much more than doing some washing. And then the narrative that ended my day, these verses that I read, said, God's love for you, Lucy, never ends. He consistently offers new mercies to you. Great is his faithfulness each and every day. He offers you afresh mercy, compassion, grace, forgiveness, kindness. And as I said, when I read that, my, th my thoughts were, why would God want to offer this to me? Why would he want to give me new mercies each morning? Because I don't deserve that. Why does God give me mercy, compassion, grace, kindness, forgiveness each day for days when I do nothing, where I achieve nothing, either for myself or for God? Why is God still faithful to me on those days? The days when I'm in my dressing gown and not leaving the house. Why would God even offer me new mercies in the morning when he probably knows as well as I do that I'm not going to make the most of them? Why does God seemingly waste his time and his resources on me on those days that I spend wasting my time? I read those verses in this devotional and I had all these questions and I had this desire to push the words away as though I could stop God 
from generously offering what he promised in those passages. I felt as though I just couldn't accept those words for what they were without having all of my questions, all of my doubts answered. But do you know how the devotional ended? Like this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. His great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. The devotional ended with that. It didn't answer my questions. It didn't give me an opt-out clause. It didn't try to diminish the significance of those words. It just repeated them and forced me to rest with them. God didn't give me a chance to try and bargain my way out of it or haggle down his offer. He simply said what he said, and it was up to me to accept that. And do you know why he could do that? Do you know why God could drop these verses, these promises of new mercy into my questioning lap with no explanation given? He could do that because love had already borne my burdens. This burden of insecurity that I was carrying with me that caused me to want to push this away. This burden of feeling unworthy or undeserving, like I just didn't do enough to earn that. I don't know why I keep carrying these things around with me, because guess what? Love has already borne those burdens. And do you know how that love bore our burdens? Do you know where love bore our burdens? It happened 2,000 odd years ago when Jesus breathed his last breath, strung up on the cross. Today we're talking about that love that bears our burdens. We're talking about what hung up on that cross that day besides Jesus. We are talking about the last words that Jesus uttered as he gave up his spirit. It is finished. We're talking about this love that has bore our burdens. In our journey to the cross, today we're going to read from Mark 8 if you'd like to go there in your Bibles with me. And we're reading from verses 31 to 35. And in these verses, we have an interesting little exchange between Jesus and his disciple Peter. So starting in Mark 8, verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things from merely a human point of view. 
not from God's. Now, Peter's a little bit bold, isn't he? Reprimanding his teacher like that. I can just imagine it would be like Caleb heading up to John Tucker, who's the principal of Kerry College where he studies, and telling him off. Telling John that he just doesn't like what he's got to say. And I mean, I don't know how Caleb would feel about doing that, but I can't imagine it would go down very well. John might not appreciate that. So it doesn't surprise me that Jesus' reaction to Peter telling him off is to tell him off right back and say, get away from me, Satan. Strong words, but Peter has been very cheeky. And Jesus says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. To Peter's reprimanding, Jesus counters with a reprimanding of his own. And we have this little scene play out, which, to be fair, was probably a bit embarrassing for Peter, especially considering that five verses earlier, this is what happened. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Only moments earlier, Peter's had this revelation. He's hit the nail right on the head. He's been so right. Who am I? Jesus asks them. And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then, I mean, probably rightly so, considering what happens. At Peter's declaration, Jesus tells him, well, just keep that under your hat for a bit. Because Peter then goes on to get it so wrong. He practically undoes this revelation. And he goes way off base by reprimanding Jesus. This is probably why Jesus didn't want Peter saying anything, blurting it out that he was the Messiah. Because Jesus knew that Peter's picture, Peter's understanding was so incomplete. In his mind, as Jesus is describing all of this pain and suffering and rejection that is to come, Peter is thinking, whoa, 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 Jesus, We've just established that you're a Messiah. You are the Messiah. And if I know the Messiah like I think I do, what you're describing is not not what happens to a Messiah. Think your predictions are a bit off base there. Because in Peter's mind, the Messiah is revered. The Messiah is exalted, held in awe. The Messiah is celebrated. The Messiah is this almighty judge who will come and sit on his throne and issue out decrees and judgments and punishments and things like that. He's not the one. The Messiah is not the one who will be subdued by and who will succumb to those things being dished out upon him. So Peter has to tell him. Peter has to let Jesus know that he's got it all wrong. Otherwise... The Messiah, he's not who Peter thinks he is. Peter really, I mean, Peter's doing Jesus a solid right here. Thank goodness for Peter is probably what Peter was thinking. 
But thank goodness for Peter is certainly not what Jesus has to say to him. Instead, Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. And I mean, whoa, Jesus, really? Satan, you want to go there? Seems like a fairly harsh accusation. I mean, Peter was only trying to help. But I mean, while it sounds a little harsh, we should probably roll with Jesus on this one. I mean, he probably knows what he's talking about. Because what has Jesus been saying about Satan? Mark 1 tells us that Jesus encountered him in the desert when he was out in the wilderness after his baptism. And Satan's trying to tempt Jesus into doing all these things, to give up his power to him, to show off. He's trying to get in Jesus' way and lead him off course. And then in John 8, Jesus calls Satan a liar or the father of lies. And in John 10, Satan is called a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy it's safe to say that Jesus, Satan isn't on Jesus' team. So when Peter comes to Jesus and he starts telling Jesus, oh, you've got it wrong, oh, no, you should be looking this way, Jesus instantly sees straight through Peter. He sees through his reprimanding and he can see that Satan is now trying to use Peter to once again steer him off course, to take his eye off the goal. Because it would be tempting, I imagine, to be the Messiah that Peter thinks he should be rather than the Messiah he knows he needs to be. I mean, who want, wouldn't want to be the Messiah that is revered and exalted and celebrated rather than the Messiah who suffers, is rejected, and dies? Peter's option seems much preferable. And that would be all right, wouldn't it? You know, maybe Jesus could achieve what he needed to achieve as that Messiah, the glossy, celebrated Messiah. I mean, he could hand out his decrees and his punishments from that place of honor. His teaching might lack the punch of dying and then coming back to life, but surely he could still get some of that message across, take that nicer Messiah route. I mean, Satan, he certainly knows how to paint a good picture. And as I like to say, thank goodness that Jesus is Jesus and that no one's counting on me. Because I feel like I would crumple and I would fall victim to that glossy picture that is painted. But to this alluring picture, Jesus just karate chops it down and basically says, look, Peter, stop talking about what you don't know anything of. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. The human point of view is that this doesn't need to happen. The human point of view is that Jesus, the Messiah, shouldn't have to suffer and be rejected and die the human point of view is that what Jesus, the Messiah, is saying makes no sense. It's not how a Messiah should be talking. But the human point of view is also very incomplete. The human point of view is simple and brash and fearful. Get away from me, Satan, is what Jesus says to him. You are seeing things merely from your human point of view, not from God's. 
God's point of view, in contrast, sees that this does have to happen. God's point of view is that he has generously given his only son to be sacrificed, to die in the place of others, so that he can be resurrected and defeat the power of sin and death once and for all. From God's point of view, what Jesus is saying makes perfect, heartbreaking sense. Because God's point of view is complete. It's infinite. It's beyond time. He sees what we don't see, and he understands what we could never comprehend. God's point of view is wise, and it is true, and it is whole. And we get tripped up on this all the time. Our human point of view. It's shaped and formed by this world with Satan whispering in our ears every chance he gets. He trips us up all the time. Like Peter, we just don't get it. We can't comprehend it. We think we know better and we think, gee, we better tell God that we know what we're up to. In Romans 5, Paul writes very plainly about our lack of understanding. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone maybe perhaps would be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When we were still like Peter, utterly helpless, needlessly brash, stuck in our sin, Christ came for us and died for us. And not many people would be willing to do that, if any at all. Maybe at a stretch, someone could be convinced to die for someone who is very honorable and upright. But I don't think anyone else would bother dying for a bunch of sinners. Yet God shows, showed his great love for us by sending Christ, his only son, to die for us while we were still sinners. And I mean, I'll say it again, thank goodness Jesus is Jesus, and no one was counting on me. Because this love, the love of God, the love of Jesus, this is the love that bears our burdens. Hanging up on the cross with Jesus that day, on the day that he died, was all of our humanness, all of our Peterness, all of our sin and our shame and our burdens. Jesus took all of that. He picked it all up, carried it with him as he walked his journey to the cross so that when he died on the cross, those things would die with him. And then three days later, when Jesus was resurrected, when he rose from the dead and his disciples saw him alive again, it was only Jesus who was there. The rest of that stuff that he carried, that died with him, that didn't get resurrected. 
that remained in the grave. And do you know what that means? It means that when I read these words, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. When I read that and I start thinking thoughts like, why would God want to do this for me? I don't deserve that. It means that I can say to those thoughts, get away from me, Satan. I can say, Lucy, you're only looking at things from a human point of view, not from God's. Because you know what God sees? God sees someone washed in the blood of Jesus, his son. He simply sees a child that he loves, one who is worthy and deserving of his love, one who is enough for him. And in his love, he asks me, will you let me be enough for you? Will you receive my mercy, my grace, my compassion, my forgiveness? You are enough for me. Will you let me be enough for you? And I'd like to ask you all this morning, what is it that you hold on to? What are the burdens that you keep carrying around like friends? Like me, do you carry a sense of insecurity, feelings of unworthiness, or like you just don't do enough to measure up sometimes? Do you let thoughts like that inform who you are and what you deserve? Or is there something else you carry, a different burden, Maybe the burden of addiction. Maybe the burden of sin or shame. Maybe you carry the burden of your past. Things you just can't let go of. It could be anything. What is it that you carry? What is it that you let inform you about who you are? I'll get the band to come forward again now, and they'll just play quietly while we flesh this out. But I just want you to take a moment now, just sit quietly just for a minute, and think about it. Let yourself get a little bit raw. What burdens are you carrying? What are you letting inform you about who you are? Do you know what we're going to say to those things this morning? To those burdens? To those things that we let talk to us? We're going to say, Satan, I see your lies. You're causing me to see things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. He weasels his way into our heads and into our hearts, and he locks us onto a human point of view. He locks us onto our own understanding. He directs us away from God. 
When these things come up, when these burdens rear their heads and start telling us who we are and who we aren't, we need to name and shame them. We need to recognize that it is not God. It never was God who was pulling us down. Because when God looks at you, he sees someone washed clean in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He simply sees a child that he loves, one who is worthy, one who is deserving of that love, one who is enough for him. And in his love, he asks, will you let me be enough for you? Will you receive my mercy? Will you receive my grace, my compassion, my forgiveness, my kindness? Because you are enough for me. And I ask, will you let me be enough for you? The journey to the cross that Jesus walked was a brutal one. He was beaten and mocked and rejected and literally nailed to a wooden cross to hang until he couldn't bear it anymore. Until he couldn't breathe anymore. Until he couldn't live anymore. Jesus walked that journey. Jesus walked that torture for love. He walked it for Peter. He walked it for his followers. He walked it for you and for me. He bore the burden of death so that we wouldn't have to. He bore the burden of sin and have to. And he put them to death. He put them all to death. Our burdens of insecurity, of not feeling worthy, our burdens of addiction, our burdens of the past. He took them all away. He left them in the grave and he rose to life. And as he rose, the victory was his. He made the victory ours also. As we see the power of these things that we carry, the power of these things which we let weigh us down constantly, we see that power defeated, left in the grave, powerless. The burden of my insecurity, that couldn't hold Jesus down. That couldn't keep him dead. The burden of your sin and shame, your addiction, your past, that couldn't keep Jesus down. That couldn't keep him dead. Jesus rose. Jesus was victorious. These things, these burdens, they didn't have a chance. Jesus said to them, get away from me, Satan. And he left them in the grave. And that doesn't mean that these things magically don't touch us or don't hurt us. They do. They climb into our minds and into our hearts and they settle there and we start listening to them. But remember, Jesus won. We have the victory. So we can go ahead and we can name and shame these things. We can call them out for what they are, which are lies, coming to steal, to kill and destroy. And we can grab onto the truth that Jesus did die for us, 
while we were still sinners. That God loves us and he sees us over these lies that try to inhabit us. God sees us as worthy and deserving, as clean, as pure white as fresh snow. And we can proclaim over these lies, saying you're a human point of view, not God's. And God's point of view is that you are enough. And he invites us saying, will you let me be enough for you? Will you receive what I'm offering? My great faithfulness, my new mercies every day. Because you are enough for me. Please let me be enough for you. This is the journey to the cross. Brutal and soul-piercing, but glorious and victorious. Will you walk in this journey to the cross today? Will you go where Jesus went? Will you bear it all for him? For the one, the love that bore your burdens. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the love that bears our burdens. For the love that has borne our burdens. Lord Jesus, you see everyone here this morning. You know those things that came to mind as they thought about what they carried around. As they thought about those things that talked to them in the back of their minds. Lord Jesus, you see those things. Would your spirit pour out on us this morning as we call them out for what they are? Lord Jesus, would you hear us as we say they are lies and as we claim the victory through you? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died for us while we were still sinners. You died for us while we still never understood. You died for us when we were covered in sin and shame. And you gave us life. You rose and you left those things in the grave, Jesus. And you gave us life in their place. So Holy Spirit, would you stir in each and every heart here this morning? Would you stir and would you speak truth? The truth of God that says that you are enough. You are worthy. You are deserving. You may receive my forgiveness, my kindness, my compassion, my mercy, my grace. Holy Spirit, would you plant that in every heart here this morning? Be with us.